0: Hi everyone, and welcome to another firm's consulting podcast. Today we're going to continue on our month-long dedication to the consulting office season two, and we're going to have a, a conversation with Alice. Welcome, Alice.
1: Hi, Michael. How are you? Hi, everyone.
0: Hi, Alice. Thank you for joining us today. So we're going to we're going to focus today on the questions that the readers posted to us in the last 24 hours. Some on Facebook, a lot of people wrote in to us, so mm-hmm. I'm going to lead with some of the questions we have and then we can just have a conversation about that. How does that sound?
1: Sure. That sounds good.
0: So so let's start with some of the questions that came in from Europe, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll start with some of the more difficult ones. So let's get the difficult ones with, we're <laughs> right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people wanted to know how you managed your confidence levels. You, know, you went into Bain, had a not so pleasant inter- internship experience. You tried to interview for the McKinsey internship. That didn't work out. But you're still stuck in. So so what kept you going through that period?
1: Um, what I would say is um, if you really want something and... Uh, if you just say oh no to it, every time you face a failure, I, I think you cannot reach any goal because no achievement will be achieved without any failure or any major setback. So, remembering, keeping that in mind just keep me going on.
0: So, there was no time, I mean, even immediately after you were told no by McKinsey during the internship that you felt this is a bad idea, I shouldn't be doing this, or, or you questioned your abilities?
1: Um so I interviewed the internship for McKinsey and Bain at the same time and I got banned so I say okay pretty good then um, Bain is top 3 at least so um it's an it, it was not a problem and the second is because I was the chair of YGCC, I trying to um helping the other of the club members and I gain a lot of confidence from that because I know um if I can help them achieve something i i i don't have much problem um or at least it's not a serious problem uh yes I did have some um questioning on myself while I was doing the bay internship because i feel like uh, I, I thought i'm a pretty uh, quick quick minded or uh, i don't want to use the word smart but i would say i'm a I'm, I'm a i'm okay good learner. Mm-hmm. But uh, then when I was in the Bay internship, I didn't see myself learning much or learning at uh, the rate I was hoping or I was expecting myself to do. So I question on that. Uh, uh, but after that, because I was talking to Michael a lot, so uh, he encouraged me to stay on and uh, fix my problems in both in the technical way and mentally. Uh, so I go through that period, and then uh, at the end of the August to the end of the September, I was uh, just to start looking at the t uh, the ter- the consulting offer season one, um, and then start to uh, train myself more so that uh, I'm ready for the season two. So,
0: so, so improving your confidence didn't necessarily come from doing more cases, just the discussions we had and other discussions you had with people, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So it was, about, it was about getting comfortable with what happened rather than saying, oh, I'm going to buckle down and do 20 cases a day.
1: Um, I would say it's uh, accepted the fact that you failed, and uh, analysis uh, takes some analysis to understand why you failed. If you find, find out that uh, the root cause is not you, or you know that uh, the root cause is you, but you can fix that in the future, why you would bother uh, having those negative uh, failing? It just going to prevent you to do better in the future.
0: Okay, very good. So let's talk about New York City, right? I've had mm-hmm. at least eight questions about why you picked New York City because it's kind of obvious in some regards it's regarded as one of the most prestigious offices. It is New York. Did you have a reason for picking New York? Is there a particular reason you chose that city?
1: Uh, Michael did warn me that uh, New York City is really hard to get, and uh, he even tried to persuade me to go to like, say, Shanghai office or some uh, less prestigious office. But I would say it's more personal reasons. Uh, My boyfriend is currently at Yale, and uh, he expected to stay around the New York City uh, area. So I think uh, it's better for us to stay closer because I don't want to fight the two fronts where on one side is the career, on the other side is the family.
0: So it's true what they say, behind every big decision, there's a personal decision.
1: Uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's personal and, and um, uh, if there's anything I, I can say more personal is uh, I, I don't necessarily like the way Asia, the, the consulting practice mm-hmm. in Asia uh, although I don't know much, but but definitely I'm not a Asian person per se in that aspect. So I I don't want to go back to Asia.
0: So you're just more comfortable working in New York culture, is what you're saying? Yes. Mm-hmm. Which is fine. I mean, you know, everyone has their traits. Some people love the you know, hectic scene of Shanghai, but they probably wouldn't work as well in New York because it's completely mm-hmm. different. Okay, good. So New York with purely personal reason. You're right, we had a lot of discussions about it and I did want to understand why not Shanghai or Beijing or Hong Kong or you know mm-hmm. whatever. Because you had certain natural strengths which means you would have been much more attractive to those officers and we need to understand why you would give off, why you would be willing to walk away from those advantages to go after New York, where you don't really have any, um, you were a strong (laughs) candidate, but there was no over, there was no, there was no no unusual competitive advantage versus everyone else applying to New York. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's an important discussion to have, and once you were comfortable, and we had a lot of discussions about it, and you did raise the personal issues, and I say that the most important reason for picking an office should be personal because if you don't like where you are working, you will hate it within two months mm. and you'll want to leave very quickly thereafter. So New York was a good choice, obviously. I think everyone wants to be in New York, have croissants on Madison Avenue and so on. Let's talk <laughs> about your field, right? So, so yeah. you, you have a, you know, based, I've read some of your research papers. You seem to have a promising... That seemed to have, I said that in past tense, you have a promising career as a research scientist. But you left do, that behind. And you come from a family of, of research type people, educators. Do I?
1: Uh, so I, So it, it's, um, when, when I see that Facebook question, I, I was shocked that uh, he or she, I don't know if he, uh, he commented that uh, I, I will be successful in research. Actually, I don't think so. Why not? Um, because
0: um,
1: it, let's imagine the research field is a market, mm-hmm. and I'm um, being one of the product. I, I don't think uh, I don't have any. I, I don't think I have any competitive advantage against uh, anyone else, even in the niche field of the compute, computational biophysics. I think the the reason why you feel like I'm successful is because uh, you don't have a you.
0: I don't know do anything a, about biophysics.
1: Uh, no, no I, w- I wouldn't say so. You have a physical major, but, but you don't have a good benchmark of what it takes to be a good, successful uh, researcher in the next ten years.
0: That is true, because I'm not one. <laughs> so so, you, you, so you're so saying that you, uh, Let's just, let's just uh, explore the subject, because I think it's an important subject. I think that uh, the person on Facebook wasn't the only one who raised the question. I got something like Mm -hmm. seven other messages. A lot of people just saw Fudan University, Yale, research scientist. She must be going places. Do you think that people read too much into the Ivy League background?
1: Yes, I do. Um, Especially for Chinese, I think um, the moment they differentiate themselves is not where they leave the college. It's where um, after I have been in the United States for several years, and then I know what Alice really wants, instead of just following my parents' uh, suggestions or uh, just follow the mainstream um, t- expectation of, of, from China.
0: So, and you think there's this too much emphasis on the? It is the Ivy League. Once you get it, is just going to be a golden path afterwards.
1: Um, I, I do think the avaligi, it, it has some goldenness into it, where the networking here, the people you meet is yeah. fantastic. Um, but I would say I, I don't, just because you see a bio award in my PhD title doesn't mean that I'm close to healthcare or love healthcare. It's the same principle. You, I, I wouldn't assume anything from a person I met just because of his background.
0: Well, one of the things that I noticed when you answered the question, you started using a market analogy. That yeah. immediately tells me you probably are better suited for business. Oh, thank you. <laughs> because a PhD wouldn't, the average PhD wouldn't use that analogy. In fact, the average MBA wouldn't use that analogy. So as soon as you start thinking in business terms automatically, you've you know you, you've made that leap, which is very important. So See. so you. you, you You've answered the question in a very unusual way. The person asked the question, why didn't you stay in your field? Because it seems like you have a bright path. But what you've said is that just because you've went to Yale, you have a biophysics background, doesn't necessarily mean you don't know yet whether you're going to be a great scientist. It takes 10 years to know. So Um, you can't make that judgment call yet.
1: Well, I I, I would say... I have um, 80% of confidence in my judgment that I wouldn't be a good scientist in the way that, uh, let's talk in market term. I think uh, currently the science uh, um, is, the entire entire science industry is mainly driven by the government funding and the downstream pharmaceutical companies. And we know that pharmaceutical companies are cutting uh, they're expanding on R&D, so we, we don't get much funding from that side. On the government side, uh, we have the shutdown, we have the deficits, so uh, getting money in science research is becoming harder and harder. Uh, so that means the market is shrinking, and, and the second, adding to what I have said, so um, I'm not a good product because compared to the other graduate school, a student, a graduate student who uh, majored in physics, I'm not as good in physics as they are. Uh, compared to those who are totally trained, have a good bio sense, I'm not a, a totally bio people because I think more physics, physically, uh, in the physics sense. So uh, I'm uh, I'm kind of in the mediocre way that I'm not good at uh, any one of them. Um, the only thing i 'm good at is combining them. But I think uh, any any physicists who are good, who are interested in biology would be able to pick up biology really quickly, just like my advisor does so i, I don 't have any competitive advantage
0: That's an interesting way of looking at it because. I mean, you've obviously thought it through a lot, so let's not um, delve on that anymore. Yes. <laughs> you have a good um. points you've raised, and I, you know, only you would know where your strengths lie. Let's talk about selection of mentors, right? So mm-hmm. you've, uh, you've been working with myself and Kevin. Mm-hmm. So uh, this was the most, of all the questions, this one got the most interest. You know, how, do you, how did you select your mentors? How did you get them? The question was, how did you get your mentors to mentor you in the first place?
1: How do I get my mentors to mentor me? Um, for Kevin, it's straightforward because Michael knows Kevin. Uh, so Kevin was in introduced, uh, Michael introduced Kevin and me together, so we know each other. Um, in terms of how I get Michael to mentor me, I think it's more because um, uh, I'm being really sincere, and at the moment we know each other, I already get the Bain internship. I'm not asking anything from myself. I'm just uh, uh, trying to help the entire YGCC. Um, and uh, I see Michael is really good at doing uh, so by the firm's consulting website, so I asked uh, him to help the club. Uh, so I, I, to be honest, I don't know.
0: Okay. Well, I can give you my perspective because you know, I think it's easier for me to answer this question. Uh, Do you want me to give you my perspective?
1: Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm.
0: I was going to do a separate podcast on this, but I might as well just speak about it briefly now. I won't speak about it a lot. So I think the couple of things why I mentored Alice, I think the first one is that we get a lot of requests from club presidents and so on asking for us to, to work with them. But I think you're one of the only, if not one of the few, I mean on one hand I can count the number of people who asked me for help not to help themselves but to help other people so when you wrote to me you weren't looking for any help for yourself you wanted me to help your club which was very unusual because I think most people when they write they want help for themselves and even club presidents when they write to us they first say Michael can you uh, help me for a month and if it makes sense then I will you know pass it on to the club so I felt that you were very um, unselfish because oh thank you. <laughs> you never asked for anything for yourself, which I found very surprising to be honest. You never asked for anything. And I think we were speaking for six months and you never asked for anything. You were just interested in things to help the club and you were using it to help the club. I could see you doing that. So for me that was important. The other part about it is that, um I thought you were quite clever. And I knew you were clever actually two minutes into our first call because of a joke you made about something about a pianist and what is the joke? Um, I can't remember what the joke was, this was over a year and a half ago but you I don't know you made a joke about a pianist and there's two things struck me about that. Firstly uh, you don't know me, I, I used to be a partner and most people when they speak to partners they're very nervous but you make a joke two minutes into the call so I knew you were very confident and mm. then the third thing is that you, I got the feeling that you were quite disciplined and diligent about what you were doing. So you were, in in inverted commas, smart, but I think it's more than smart. I felt like you had a plan and I knew that someone who's that careful about thinking things through um, with the right kind of guidance, they can probably go as far as they want to go. So those are my reasons. They were not like, you know, very major reasons. I just felt you were very, very um, unselfish. I felt Mm -hmm. you were smart. And I felt you were disciplined about planning things and thinking it through. So then, you know, when other people are picking mentors, you, you are right in the sense that the mentors pick you. You don't pick a mentor. Mm. You, know, you don't go to a mentor and say, will you mentor me? If you have to ask for someone to mentor you, it is automatically not going to work.
1: So it's like the beggars never get a choice.
0: Exactly. If a, a mentor, it, it's like this, right? If you are actively seeking a mentor, you're doing the wrong thing you've got to actively be sincere about learning and then through the actions you take to display your sincerity you'll attract mentors Mm -hmm. but if you go out there saying i want to be i want a mentor will you mentor me you're just going to get the wrong kind of people because you're going to get people that in my opinion I like to go around to tell other people, you know what, I've got five mentors, I've got ten mentors, uh, mentees, sorry, I've got five mentees, I've got ten mentees. You're going to attract people who are looking for mentees. Mm. And actually, when, when someone makes a decision to mentor someone, it's not like in the back of my head I'm thinking, oh, I need another person to mentor. It doesn't actually work that way. I'm actually looking for no one to mentor. But if I find someone that I think, you know what, this person is different, they have the right value system, they are sincere, and they're really trying their best. Then, yeah, that's all the criteria you need.
1: Thank you. <laughs> I I feel honored to hear you say that.
0: Well, it, it's the truth. You know, you've worked with me long enough to know that if you do something wrong, I'll tell you in no uncertain terms, Alice, you messed up
1: yeah. And uh, just for the uh, the. Reference for the audience, uh, I probably cannot count how many times I cry in, in front of the Skype. <laughs>
0: well, that's not actually good for the cause uh, so You're making me sound like the Grinch stole Christmas. Here.
1: <laughs> no, that that's not. Um, I probably because uh, I have too much tears to do. <laughs> go out.
0: But I think that's the important thing about a mentor, also because my job is is now i've said this to you many times and i tell this to many people that my, I, I although i like you a lot and i and i want to see you successful I, i'm also very careful about telling you things just to make you feel good at the expense of your development and mm-hmm. if i see there's a chance for you to take some pain in the short term and no one's ever going to know what we discuss ever to make you better in the long term then i'm willing to you know tell give you some you know maybe not so Um, tell you things that maybe you don't want to hear, but they're honest, and I think you'll be successful. And I think that's the important thing about a mentor-mentee relationship. Because I think a lot of people just select mentors who say good things, have coffee at Starbucks every three months, and what is the value of that? I'm not saying that all relationships have to go that way, but it's important that we have an open channel of communication where we can say what we think. Mm -hmm. And that's unsaid, but anyway, let's continue, right? There's a couple of other things we're going to discuss. So, Let's talk, about, um, let's talk about the planning for the consulting office season two. Now, uh, I think that we're going to go on record saying that, yes, you did help me plan this. You were involved in the beginning, but you never had any idea what questions were going to be asked, or how mm-hmm. the day was going to be structured. In fact, we deliberately changed the order at times just to mislead you. Yes, yes. <laughs> so maybe I want to talk more about that because I think that people I don't want people to get the impression that well Alice was involved so she knew what questions were coming up because there was nothing like that. It was a live fire session whereby you know you agreed for the benefit of of your club to be put into the situation not knowing what to expect. Is that so what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, so uh, when we are designing it uh, um my, Michael say, uh, uh, give me a choice of, Alice, I can tell you the case, I can let you do the case first, or uh, we can do it blindly. And I think it, it will make the experience more sincere if I don't know the, uh, don't know the question, don't know the answer, and uh, react more promptly on the feet. Um, because then the audience would see what mistake I'm really making and uh, how I react uh, on, on a live show. Um, if it's fake, then you're just looking at another script recording. I'm an actor, uh, maybe a bad actress. Uh, so um, I don't think it would benefit the club members, or the viewers. Uh, so we decided to do that. Uh, but on the other side, uh, um, I, I cannot... Uh, on the other side, uh, because I'm playing with Michael, so I know automatically I know some element of it. So Michael has to make some surprise to me. For example, if you look carefully on the stem cell uh, case, when the Kevin says, "Oh, it's a case about stem cell," you can see me. I was looking funny at the uh, camera because uh, Michael told me, "Okay, we, we we change the the cases completely. It's not going to about uh, not going to be about stem cell, but <laughs> obviously." it's
0: not true. Yeah, <laughs> so. So it was, for me it was important that obviously as we got closer to the days of shooting uh, and so mm-hmm. on, you, you being Alice naturally gets more exposure to the agenda because we obviously can't keep everything away from you. You've mm-hmm. never seen the questions, you've never seen the solutions beforehand, but you, 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 you know what the agenda is going to be loosely because you know there's something called a stem cell case being done. Mm-hmm. you know there's something being done called a Walmart case being done. You have no idea what the case is about mm-hmm. but one of the things I didn't want you to do is to start uh, prepping yourself for a stem cell case. So yes, close mm-hmm. to the day I told you we're not going to do it and then I told Kevin let's do the stem cell case and I said mm-hmm. let's make it a hard stem cell case too because you know let's make it really difficult because it's one of the final cases that Alice is doing. So I think that you're, I think for yourself and Michael I think a lot of credit goes to the fact that you allowed yourselves to voluntarily go through a situation where you were not prepped for the actual cases Mm. and you know many people wouldn't do that because you could have ended up looking badly if the case went bad but I think at the end of the day uh, because of the way we, we, we planned everything we made a learning session so that if things were going bad it's okay because from that experience you learn how to handle a similar situation if it happened in the case. And To be honest it actually ended up looking pretty good at the end. So even where you know at times everyone struggles in the case, even where you were struggling in the case, Kevin managed it pretty well to show you how to think through the process which I think was very beneficial.
1: And I think for the viewers, um because for for me, it doesn't matter how how good I look as long as the reviewers can can benefit from it so um I'm willing to sacrifice my image if uh if everything goes really bad
0: so now let's let's talk about your image because one of the things that came up which I didn't really think about it much until a a, a subscriber pointed out is that season one Felix Fujian mm-hmm. University Yale school of biological sciences right
1: um his PhD, uh, he's Fudan University, yes, it's a biological sciences. Now, what uh, I the, mean is that
0: her PhD wasn't the biological uh,
1: sciences. He, her PhD is in general, it's a biofield, but uh, sure. quite different from mine.
0: But, but uh, sure, okay, so there are many, big differences, <laughs> but the similarities are uncanny, right? You've, season one, season two, arguably one of the better performing candidates, very similar profile, female, Fudan, Yale, loosely the biological sciences but your similar, your profiles are very different your skill sets are very different for example you know felix was her biggest development area was the technical side of doing cases right
1: mm-hmm. and she
0: was much stronger on the soft skills i felt that it, it, you were very good on both areas but if i had to compare them lay them side by side i would say that you were very good on the technical case skills uh, although you needed some you know, tweaking and development and guidance there, but I felt that you needed more hand-holding on the soft skills. Mm-hmm. The point I'm trying to make is that even candidates who have such similar profiles, what defines a good candidate or where they should focus can be completely different.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, before we starting the shooting and uh uh, Michael worked with me mainly on the communication side. Uh, basically, uh, he would tell me, "Okay, Alice, you shouldn't say yes, yes, yes. You should just say yes once. Or uh, I should speak a slow, slower, smile more, um, paying attention to my hand gestures, etc." So, um, source coaching is very helpful to make me look good on the camera and further down the uh, McKinsey interview.
0: Well, let's let's explore that even further because I remember a few few times you made the comment to me that, oh, Michael, my case skills are not as good as when I interviewed at Bain, and I always tell you it doesn't matter because you're good enough, right? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. And I said, you're good enough, so don't make the mistake of thinking you have to do more cases. You, if you do that, you're going to be investing time in an area that's not a weakness. And I'm not saying your your soft skills are a weakness, not at all, I think you come across well in person, but you could you could enhance that. Mm-hmm. Now let's just pull that, you know, at a, at a sort of an aerial view and look at what most people do. I would say 99% of people who go in for interviews spend all their time preparing for cases, right? Mm-hmm. And they spend maybe five percent maximum focusing on the soft skills, because when people think of soft skills, they think about the fit interview. But when mm-hmm. I think soft skills, I think about the way you present yourself in a case, mm-hmm. the way you stand, the way you sit, what you dress, the way you wear your hair, and so on. Now. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that candidates maybe are doing themselves a disservice by focusing too much on cases?
1: I do think so from my experiences is that um especially for um the my club members uh, only after they feel like they are ready for the cases they would go for the 15-2. However, they usually don't have much time uh to get themselves to be confident on the case side, so they end up with this little time preparing for fit interview, if any. Um, on the other side, the fit here is not the entire part of the communication because mm-hmm. the moment you step into the office, the moment uh, the interviewer see you and shake hands, the judgment starts. And we know from psychology that uh, our first bias comes within 30 seconds. And what you did in the first 30 seconds is extremely Important if not uh, uh, determinant, so I, I would say I, I usually urge my club members to pay attention to what they wear, how they behavior and uh, having sessions on um, uh, suit fitting or uh, those type of behavioral coaching uh, within the club. and I think uh, for most the other candidates who are not within Yale, not within the Yale club, I, I would uh, urge them to think about the same problem and improve them
0: so if so what we should expect is to see a group of very well dressed people after they listen to this podcast
1: um, maybe not so well dressed does not mean well behaved
0: that is true this is the point I wanted to talk about so so the, the dressing is is just one tenth of the equation yes mm-hmm. it's a manners and body language, um, the way you sit the way you wear your hair. The kind of um, clothing combination you wear, the way Mm -hmm. you engage the interviewer, whether you sit Mm -hmm. forward, whether you sit back, whether you make eye contact, not make eye contact,
1: Mm -hmm. and how how you make
0: jokes. (laughs) How you make jokes. Now let's talk about that, right? So um, you, I have no problem speaking to you because I can understand you one hundred percent. But surely, I mean, remember there was a time and when we were doing the case, the, the group case with Kevin, and he was talking about the Spice Girls. Mm-hmm. Now, he made a joke about the Spice Girls, but I don't think you got the joke because I don't think you know who the Spice Girls is. Do you
1: know uh, who the Spice Girls I don't know the Spice Girls. So, so, so let's um, talk about
0: jokes. Uh, jokes usually work when you have the same cultural background as a person because you can make jokes about similar things.
1: Yes, but but what I learned after I arrived in the United States is if everyone laughs, just follow the laugh. Um, (laughs) And then maybe later on, pull the person on your side and ask, what that joke is about? Um, To ask that, frankly, and you will accumulate this this information and maybe do a few Googling or Wikipedia afterwards will will help you understand. And next time, you would get it.
0: That's a a good observation. I remember when I was... um when I, when I was a principal and I was in the mining practice, mining energy resources, I used to travel a lot to mining countries like Peru, Chile, and uh, parts of Mongolia and Russia and so on, right? Mm-hmm. And you meet these executives. Now, most executives in, this, in these um, companies are obviously foreign educated, Columbia, Harvard, and so on, right? Mm-hmm. But when people get drunk, they always speak in their native language. Mm-hmm. So you'd go out for, for dinner with them, the conversation will start in English because I don't speak Spanish or Russian, mm-hmm. and then as they get more and more drunk they start making comments in their native language. And they'll start making jokes in their native language. You have no idea what they're saying. Mm-hmm. But if you, if What you say is true. If you just laugh with them, everything's good. Yeah, you have no idea what they are saying, but they'll be making a joke and they laugh, and you laugh with them, and they're happy. They don't even care that you don't understand what they are saying. And I think that's right. You know, I think that we make sometimes too big a deal about the fact that we are different. When to be honest, as long as you just get along with people, they don't really—it doesn't matter to them at the end of the day.
1: Mm, yes, and and for foreigners especially, we can make jokes. Uh, make. We can easily make. We don't need to. The good part is we don't need to care about if our joke would be understandable to the foreign, uh, to the uh, Americans because the level of joke we make is uh, usually very common.
0: Because
1: yeah, okay. if foreigners know, uh, foreigners like me can know can make this joke and most of Americans can understand.
0: So it's easy to get along. And, and I mean, you use humor, I think, pretty well. I think. In building relationships with people, because while you you discuss serious topics at times, you 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 make kind of funny jokes here and there, which is important as you know someone assessing another person. As soon as they see someone making a joke, I know they don't take themselves too seriously, which which also helps me in giving them feedback because I know if they don't take themselves too seriously, I can tell them something serious because it's going to be taken quite well. So that's good. So let's continue, here, right? So we spoke about the preparation. Um, so the time leading up to Kevin, a lot of it was around confidence, communication. We did a few cases, but very few and really not as intense as most people would do because I didn't feel that cases were such an issue for you because Kevin was going to focus on it anyway, right? Mm-hmm. So we discussed preparation. Let's talk about, you know, the the kind of how we structured the day, which is very unusual. So you had this closeless dinner, you had a group session, We basically we said, what happens to a typical candidate from the time they network, submit the application, closest in dinner, group session, and so on? So let's talk about the closest this dinner. That's the most unusual mm-hmm. thing we built in there. What did you think of that? Was it surprising for you? Was it unusual? Did you enjoy it?
1: it? it, it is it a dinner or a breakfast?
0: Well, it's quite a dinner. Okay. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. it's, it's, but it, we obviously shot it in the morning. so. Uh,
1: okay. Um, so I would say... Uh, you probably noticed that I didn't do well um, in, in the closest dinner um, in the sense that uh, I was being too nervous and uh, uh, at one moment I remember I was holding a piece of bacon on my fork for one minute without moving. <laughs> and probably Kevin pointed at that. Uh, so, I would say for the readers, the most important thing is for in, in those dinners, just imagine yourself being yourself and uh, relax. Uh, imagine that person, which is Kevin, is not some, someone important. Uh, I'm not saying Kevin is not important, it's just because uh, the information you received that makes you nervous, if you can think him as your father, your mother, or uh, your close friend or your uncle, that makes you feel more comfortable and uh, you're more likely to relax.
0: But were you intimidated by Kevin or was he really friendly to you?
1: I'm not intimidated. I I think uh, um, on one side, it's because we we don't know each other. I I don't know how to break the ice, uh, especially given the other person, the the other Michael is there. Um, I I don't want to step on his foot. Um, And the second is, although... It is a, look like a real dinner, but after if you have a, a lot of the lighting on yourself, or you see the cameras, three cameras on the roll. It it hardly feels a real seating. Yeah, well, uh, you know? That's
0: right, and you've got nine people watching you behind the cameras.
1: Yeah, yes. So, yeah. so um, I would say the major nervousness comes from the setting itself rather than the. The the real Kevin. Uh, after off the camera, I think Kevin is pretty nice, and I'm enjoying talking with him more relaxed.
0: Okay, good. So so let's talk about you know any lessons. So uh, when I say lessons, I would say what are the things that you thought people should note or or, or, or keep in the back of their head for those who are going to watch it, those who are not going to watch it. Any any advice you have for them?
1: Um, for their preparation or... Well, internship when,
0: uh, interviews for MBAs begin in less than a month's time.
1: Okay. Um, lessons from... Uh, so first uh, let's talk about the uh, lessons in general, which are not specific to the uh, TA, TCO season two. Mm-hmm. I think it's important for you to uh, remind yourself, yes, I want to get uh, an internship from McKinsey, BCG, whatever firms. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, one way you can do it is get up look at the mirror and say uh, this sentence for maybe ten times in front of the mirror and smile. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't do so. I, I know it's awkward, but I think you can find another way to, to mind yourself. <laughs> as long as you uh, do it. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. And does it, it not necessarily to be, to be written or uh, oral. If you are sleeping, you are dreaming about it, it's fine. Um, second thing is... Um, mm, be self-aware that the mistakes you are making and uh, keep tracking on it, keep improving on it. So uh, just like uh, what, what we have discussed, if your improvement area is a communication, don't spend too waste too much time on, on your cases. Instead, work on your communication. Uh, Of course, it's important to keep uh, up speed, or warmed up on your cases, but you know that uh, you are not doing cases for the cases, but you are doing cases for the communication. Um, And uh, third is pick a good mentor uh, or find someone who can give you good feedback in the sense that uh, if you are doing cases with him you can always find okay today by doing the cases with uh, let's say Michael for 30 minutes uh, I know I can fix this problem next time or I know I have this problem and I will fix it next time. Um, Only by every minute you invest in has some return you can be able to uh, generate some return.
0: Okay very good. Is there anything else you want to um Add Alice? You've been quite generous with your time. I know it's a busy period for you.
1: Um, anything, um, I, I would say subscribe to the TCO uh, two. I'm not saying this because um, I'm part of it uh, uh, and I want to advertise for you. I think uh, Michael and his team has delivered a good product I ha- have never seen on the market yet, and I think it's the best for you to uh, take full advantage of it. Um.
0: Thank you, Alice, for that uh, Christmas (laughs) advert, you should put a jingle in there as well.